Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Wondery people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Alicia Stevenson, your host for this episode of Next Generation Innovators, a future women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. Each week, we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. Brooke's still on a break, but she'll be back next week. My guest today is Melissa Anderson. Currently, Melissa is a director with the federal government's Entrepreneurs Program. The Entrepreneurs Program, or EP, has assisted over 18,300 businesses with tailored advice and provided more than $347 million in matched grant funding since it was launched in June 2014. Melissa Anderson, welcome to Next Generation Innovators. Thank you for having me. Now, for everybody who's listening today that is unaware, you are the director of the Entrepreneurs Program through Oz Industry, and you have the very distinct privilege of being connected to a myriad of businesses scaling within Australia. And what I'd like to do very much today, and I'm very excited to have you on board, is I'd like to draw on what will be or what is a hugely significant bank of information that you hold across such a range of uh, businesses that are scaling currently. Um, Before we get into um, lessons and everything we're going to cover today, what I would really love you to do is just to introduce us into the EP program and a little bit about your role within the program itself. Sure. So uh, EP, the Entrepreneurs Program, is a federally funded initiative. It's been running for some years now. We work with Australian small and medium-sized enterprises to help them strengthen their businesses, grow their businesses, innovate and commercialise. And we do that through a network of about 170 subject matter experts who come from the private sector and have a wealth of knowledge themselves. And we also do that through some matched grant funding to help businesses do the things that they need to do in order to grow, innovate or commercialise. We take the insights of working with businesses and we feed them back into our policy partners in government and hopefully uh, continue to evolve the program to better meet businesses' needs. Brilliant. And look, for full disclosure to all of our listeners who will not be unaware of this, Aussie Industries Entrepreneurs Program is the sponsor for this season of Next Generation Innovators and a brilliant sponsor at that. And I'm very interested to get into the details of the EP program because what I'm hoping, Melissa, is that of the audience listening out there, there are some people that have an idea incubated and they're kind of working on it. And what I really want to give the listeners today is a sense of how to take that next step when they're ready to scale. And you are, as appointed by the government, the resident expert in how to do that. So we are very lucky to have you here today. I'd like to ask you a little bit more in terms of specifics about the EP program, about generally how people are first introduced, how they apply. And I was going to ask you about the general tenure. What stages are their businesses at? And what does it generally look like, that initial kind of engagement? Uh, It's quite diverse. So uh, let's start with businesses. So typically businesses come to us at a few different stages in their life cycle. So we have at the very early stage, pre-revenue businesses coming to us for our accelerating commercialization uh, element of our program. And that's really a service that helps businesses commercialize novel ideas 
access expert knowledge on how to commercialise and also um, have the opportunity to apply for a competitive matched grant to help fund some of those initiatives. So we do require that a business needs to have been trading for a minimum of three years and have a turnover of 1.5 million per annum at a minimum uh, with some exceptions. And so that really means that a business has some scale and some experience Uh, But typically they're triggered to come and see us because they're experiencing growing pains or are interested in how they might uh, access a new market or develop a new part to their business or simply just want a second set of eyes over the business to see how they can improve it. So there's a range of, I guess, life cycle points that we tend to see businesses And they come in predominantly through a referral network, through their professional services firms that they work with, accountants, lawyers, financial services. Uh, But it's really easy to access and it's open for any business to apply. And the easiest way to get us is on the business.gov.au website. Just type in Entrepreneurs Program and all of the details are there, including all of the different services that we offer for the different needs that businesses have. And I guess during COVID, for instance, um, we reached out to all of our alumni businesses who'd been with us for some time and moved on and exited the program. But um, we reached out to all of those businesses during COVID and offered them one-on-one support and coaching during COVID. Uh, So you never really leave. (laughs) So that's brilliant insight. And really, I think Mark's kind of a period there where you can consider yourself being a startup and then really at that $1.5 million three-year period, you're sort of no longer a startup anymore. You're an established business and that's when you can start to access this. So I do want to delve into COVID because you've brought it up. So I might skip to that. And I want us always to be talking in two minds, I suppose. First of all, for people that are at that stage where they are a couple of years down the track and they do want to scale and they are looking for something, but also to those who may be listening with just a great idea and something that they'd like to start because I think one of the benefits of talking to you today is that you do have so much information about these businesses even before they were ready to come to you and that's what I'd like to tap into and also I think it's really important especially for young people and for women when they start a business to see maybe a five-year roadmap as to what it might look like as they move down the track and I think when people are starting businesses they look very much to the next short while Whereas I think the Entrepreneurs Program is something that everyone should know about so that you can see exactly where you should be graduating into and who you should be accessing at what time. I think there's great benefit in that. And so in that vein, talking about COVID, I mean, what a time, COVID. And I would really love to get some of your insights into some of the drawbacks, but also what we are seeing prevail now as we sort of progress with COVID, some of the opportunities, weird opportunities that COVID has presented to everybody. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what you've seen and how you've seen COVID impact businesses and some of those threats and some of those opportunities that you have seen in that? Yeah, COVID was, um, it was hectic. Uh, We had, I guess our canary in the coal mine for us in our portfolio of businesses was actually our uh, professional services portfolio. They were the first businesses to have a cessation, if you like, in inward orders or suspension of services as businesses had to pause and reflect on their business as usual. So as soon as we started hearing that there were forward impacts before the closures, We got into gear and created a specific service response just for COVID. 
During the time, I think we worked with just over 3,000 businesses one-on-one and provided coaching and mentoring support. And of those 3,000 businesses, 92% of them managed to trade out of COVID, which was just awesome. And whilst I'd love to say it's all us, it's not. It was actually very much around the strength, the fortitude, the determination of our business owners to trade through it as best they could. And one of the observations from the many conversations we had uh, during COVID with our businesses was the value of people. And it's one of the reasons I I love working with SMEs is more often than not when we talk to business owners and female business owners in particular, their primary concern during COVID wasn't their own benefit. It was my people. How do I look after my people? I need to keep the business at a certain level of revenue so that I can keep my people. And it just makes you want to go into bat and fight hard for them as well. It certainly does. Because a real purpose behind that assistance and it really makes you, I guess it energised our teams. It was about saving jobs, livelihoods, families. A big part of what we saw was a lot of exhaustion, mental health challenges with many of our businesses. I think for the first time, it was an incredibly uncertain time with no finish line and nothing to plan toward. So that uncertainty sort of compounded on our business owners because they wanted to take action and make a plan, but they had no timeframes to work toward on that plan. So I guess in terms of observations as well, uh, we had some sectors that were harder hit than others. Our technology sector did very well as more and more businesses increased their digital footprint. So that was a, a wonderful positive to come out of COVID is that the burning platform that we'd been hoping for to get businesses to take digital on more so than they had previously, it happened overnight. So our digital it took the uh, really took the choice out of it, didn't it? Which is very, very interesting. It took the choice out of it completely and everyone became digital experts overnight. Correct. Uh, or at least at least digitally open overnight, I suppose, which as a cultural shift is, is amazing. Yeah, it has been really good. And that's one of the benefits. What we observed though you know our food and manufacturing sector was um, heavily hit particularly those that were exposed to food service industries like restaurants and Mm -hmm. um, cafes and we worked with those businesses to help them pivot so they would be typically b2b businesses that we help pivot to a b2c posture so they could then go on and and deliver um what they would normally sell through a food service business, they could package up and sell directly to a household through deliveries. So it was quite inspiring to watch it happen. The big common theme for me and businesses that traded successfully through that, that were able to find alternate markets, was that they used the power of their people inside their organisations. They didn't just lead from the front they actually brought their teams with them. So they empowered their teams to work with them on what a new business model might look like, what new markets they could possibly tap into, how they might pivot what they do. They use the power of their teams and a very inclusive leadership style. Amazing. Yeah, and I think that from my observations, our female-founded businesses are particularly good at bringing their people on those journeys with them as well. 
Yeah. Look, I'd like to circle back to leading through the pandemic and beyond and building teams, but I have a burning question that should go towards the end somewhere, but I'm just going to ask it now because I'm very interested in this line. I think there's a lot of hesitation now post-COVID. There's exhaustion, but there's also hesitation for people to, I suppose, take up successful ideas and to begin businesses and to jump on board with businesses that are scaling. And there is this small hesitation or this, I suppose, a little bit of a wondering around how secure this is. Is this, and and I'm, I'm dying to ask you, is it the right time to start a business for yourself from your own idea or to join a business that is scaling or to invest in a business that is scaling? I don't think that there is ever a wrong time to do any of that. I think the question perhaps is, is it the right opportunity that you're looking at given the market conditions? And if anything, this flux that we find ourselves in and this uncertain environment actually creates a lot more opportunities and a lot more innovative niches for us to be able to pursue. I think one of the positives of this shakeup for us is that it's taken us out of our linear thinking and has encouraged us to be more inquisitive and more connected to opportunities than ever before. So for me, the question is not, is this the right time? It's always a great time to have a crack. But it's really rather about, is it the right opportunity and using the right disciplines to actually decide whether or not it's the right opportunity. Certainly in terms of funding, there is a lot of cash sloshing around at the moment looking for a home for the right opportunity. So uh, if you're looking to scale and need investment, it's quite a favourable market to be looking around. And there's a lot of, I guess, money sitting sitting perching looking for businesses to invest in that have an innovative trajectory, might be ready to explore new markets. If you were never a fan of watching the budget come out, uh, (laughs) this year might be the year for you to get um, all up in and around Josh Frydenberg and uh, what he's up to. So, yeah, I I know I certainly watched that for the first year and the US election for the first year like it was pay-per-view. So (laughs) so if you're ever not into that, have a look because that is a very excellent point. There has been a lot of money released onto the market now in a lot of different areas that is looking, as you say, for a good home and for for the innovation and for people to step up and women especially, in my opinion, to step up and to take charge of some of that and create that expansion using those funds. So that is an excellent point. I'd like to switch back around, like I said I would, to businesses and teams and building teams and leadership styles. Now, one of the really interesting things about establishing your own thing, startup to establish business to scaling, is that to have a great idea and to start a business does not automatically make you a leader and being promoted into a position doesn't automatically make you a leader. Yet uh, we have this mild, beautiful obsession with leadership styles and this expectation that once you're in a certain position, having put yourself there or being promoted into it, that you will have some great insights into fantastic leadership. But the reality of it is, as you would know and I know, that leadership is an organic journey that is never completed. You're never at the finish line of being a great leader and you're also never going to be a perfect leader. And so what I really wanted to do was draw upon your knowledge of seeing so many different scenarios, so many different teams and so many different personalities as leaders 
and ask you about specifically first, I have a lot of questions around this, but specifically first, um, female leadership styles and how the program supports women to find that leadership style and some insights that you might have into how do we craft our own brand of leadership and how do we even start to approach that or do it or audit it or keep an eye on it? Look, I think it starts for me with mindset, actually, before we get to a leadership style. And I'm a big fan of talking about growth mindsets. And in fact, internally, when we look at a business and how we're going to work with a business, that's the first thing we go to. Is there a growth mindset with this business? And when we look at that, we look at the leadership and the team that sits in the leadership area, if there is a team and not just one person, and we look at whether they are open to new information, whether they are open to critique and learning, do they invest in themselves and their own skills and capabilities? Is there EQ? Do they understand their soft spots and their strengths? And do they know how to play to both of those? Um, And so for us, a growth mindset is the fundamental recipe that we like to work with. So if you've got a growth mindset, we'll invest in you as much as we can. We'll fill your cup. And for me, when I reflect on leadership, the leaders that we see outperforming others have this growth mindset. Yeah. And I suppose a lack of ego and a willingness to learn are the really important soft skills. Absolutely. And it's when they understand their soft spots and they surround themselves with people who can adjunct those soft spots. I think this is a strength that women in leadership have in particular is this, my observations, and particularly of the women of EP, so the women facilitators around the network, have a growth mindset themselves. They're continually looking about how they can improve themselves how they can learn new things and stay slightly and relevantly ahead of the game. And I think in our new world, as we're moving forward, and I always like to be thinking about not the past so much, but where are we heading as businesses in this global environment? And what are our future generations' views of the world? And if we think about that from a purpose-driven perspective, and we know that the generations of young women and men coming through in business are very focused on purpose and ensuring that what they do has meaning and is contributing to the world in some important way, then servant leadership really has a very strong role to play there, I think, in the new way of working for our businesses. It's about elevating an inclusive um, um, environment for teams to work together. And I think that bows to diversity as well because servant Mm -hmm. leadership by its definition, is really about embracing a team's differences and similarities and elevating capabilities as much as possible. And I think the other aspect to that discussion is really that, you know, and this is not a new concept, is really that sometimes our businesses as entities on their own require different types of leaders for different stages of the business Fantastic point, yes. And, you know, there's businesses, there are leaders who lead beautifully through stability um, and there are leaders who are change agents and shake things up and keep things moving. And I think that there is something in there around uh, leadership and we often have this conversation with our business owners, particularly as we see them reaching their maturity levels 
we will have those conversations about. So you started the business because you're a subject matter expert. You're awesome at doing this, which is great, or it's an area of interest for you. And that's been successful and you've grown the business. But I can see that you're fatigued and you're now running processes and systems that you never really wanted to be doing. Yep. Operationally, this is a completely different kettle of fish now. And how interesting, because I I find uh, from all the business, and look, I have a great network filled with women and men who all own their own businesses quite successfully, some of them. And there is almost this uh, marriage, I suppose, between themselves and their businesses. There's this love affair of something that you provide so much of your time to. And I don't have to describe how it's a love affair. Everybody intuitively understands why it would be. But I think to understand how you would need to have different skills as the business scales. And I suppose like a lot of people say the boring stuff, getting really au fait with finances, really au fait with operational capability, being very, very good at leading teams. These are not necessarily the baked in capabilities of people who start startups. And I agree wholeheartedly, which is what I was getting at before when I was talking about leaders and different, how do you craft that style? I really agree with that, that you need to understand that it requires so many different kinds of leader to get a business from day dot to real commercial success in a long-term scale. That's a brilliant point. And when we see fatigue in our CEOs and our leaders, it's generally because they're working in a style of leadership that they no longer enjoy. So the entrepreneur becomes an operator leader as opposed to an entrepreneurial leader. And they feel fatigued and bored and lose their passion for what they're doing. And that's when we have a conversation about how might you restructure the business so that you can put someone else in charge of the operations and you can continue to be the strategic entrepreneurial leader in the organisation. They're tough conversations to have because it's a big thing to have to hand over your baby to someone else to manage, uh, but an incredibly liberating decision when it's done. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a message from our partner, Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. The Entrepreneurs Program can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way. And you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs Program can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 13 28 46. Future Women is dedicated to helping women connect, learn and lead. There's a price point to suit all budgets or talk to your company about a corporate training membership to advance your professional development. Just head to futurewomen.com. Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where my guest today is Melissa Anderson from Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. So I think it's a very important lesson for people to know that at some point, unless you're the world's most spectacular person, you are going to struggle with the iterations of, of a business as it grows. Uh, everybody will. Yep. You know, nobody is immune to that. Nobody is perfect. And I think there's some actually in market, there's some brilliant large-scale commercial examples of that. You know, when I think about the guy from WeWork who yep. started WeWork and scaled it and, and you know, he was everything to everyone and the world's most brilliant. But when it got listed, when it became a global company that required shrewd operational applications and no longer fly by the seat of your pants leadership style, the whole thing kind of fell in on itself. Yeah. 
uh, from his perspective. So, you know, that's that's a very extreme example of what you are describing here. It is. Look, I think the other thing to think about too is that leadership can be very lonely and particularly for startups and SMEs. And I find in that scale-up phase in particular, it can be an incredibly lonely experience for a CEO and an isolating experience because as a leader, you're the go-to person for support and assistance and guidance and help for your team. And you kind of want to be the person that has the answers. So you can't really go to your team with your issues or problems or thoughts or challenges and who else is there to go to. We recently ran a pilot in Victoria. We call it the CEO Masterclass, where we brought together a group of 17 businesses and their CEOs or leaders and all SMEs. And we worked with them over the course of 12 months at regular intervals. We brought them all together and facilitated learning together and peer-to-peer activity. And it was an enormously successful initiative. And in particular, because COVID fell right smack bang in the middle of it. So their ability to be able to reach out to each other and test ideas and say, am I going and saying, what do you think about this idea? Peer-to-peer, leader-to-leader, or I'm having these challenges with my people, what would you do in this circumstance? I think there's an enormous value in striking up a peer group of other leaders who are experiencing what you're experiencing and may have a different perspective or a different set of skills to go through as well. Yeah, phenomenal. And look, that is the power of, um, and look, P2P, I know why you repeat that. It's, it's, it's really, it's really about feeling a sense of psychological safety within the people that you're talking to and a lack of judgment. But I think the most important take home from this part of the conversation is just that nobody expects a leader to be perfect or to be everything to everyone. And you really need to run into it that way. And so look, I don't want to run out of time. I have a couple more really important things I want to touch on for your expertise. The first one is, I just want you to cover really quickly for me, some really successful examples of setting up and scaling teams because we will, as a business community, forever be obsessed with teams and teamwork because resourcing and teams and people, as you said at the top end of this conversation, are what make businesses go round and what make the world go round. And so the successful unlocking of potential within that team, we should rightly be obsessed with it. Do you have some examples of very successful team building and scaling that you can share with us? I would, I'm a little biased here. So I have a a bit of a preference around um, semi-autonomous work groups. Um, I've seen them in practice in SMEs that are scaling uh, work very well. And uh, I guess part of the reason for those who aren't familiar with semi-autonomous work groups, it's where a team will have the autonomy to be able to recruit and manage a project within its own entity with minimal supervision from a leader or a manager. There is a structured process around it, but essentially it's a self-governing team. Um, Yeah, it's very flat and not very hierarchical at all. Yeah, that's correct. And look, there's pros and cons for most organising arrangements around teams. But in terms of scaling, it's really effective because what we find happens with our businesses as they scale is that the leaders get overdrawn and aren't used to being able to delegate quite substantial authorities to team members. Or may not even realise when they need to do so. That's correct, yeah. And so there is um, essentially this really empowering um, ability for a team to be able to self-generate and to be able to recruit like minds or similar minds or diverse minds 
to fill uh, gaps in the team and move together to get things done. And again, if we're looking forward into the future of business and the way that our businesses are orientating around purpose-driven organisations and servant leadership styles, then it is also sits nests very comfortably inside those organisations. We see them quite a lot in technology companies. So we deal with a lot of um, IT and digital companies who by their very nature and thanks to uh, a range of you know, tech methodologies um, sit really nicely in semi-autonomous work groups and they can get things done really well. So I think from my perspective for a scale-up, it's a great way to go. It empowers your teams. It, it allows the leaders to stay focused on the next horizon and not get into operational aspects too much. And it can attract really sort of high value employees as well who enjoy autonomy and self-direction. Brilliant. And what I wanted to do as well was get into, and it might seem like a little bit of a flip from teams to this, but I want to, I absolutely want to pick your brain around how we better support businesses to move forward with uh, things like trade exposure. Um, so taking into account things like geo, current geopolitics, things like China, Australia, the relationship there, the trade embargoes, um, yep. Uh, you know, domestic competition, uh, moving to global markets and, and the mindset from the early day all the way through and in present time. How should we be thinking about the threats and opportunities and scaling our businesses in a global world? Because as you, you know, you and I have discussed prior to this interview, uh, we tend to be quite inwardly focused in terms of Australia as a domestic market. But as the universe and as global politics start to play with us a little bit in terms of China, we, we are reminded that we are part of a global community and a global, um, you know, sort of uh, ecosystem. And I suppose, you know, my question is around what's happening on that side of things? How are our businesses scaling and what is it looking like for the future? So, yeah, the, uh, you know, for me, it's definitely one of my key thinking points at the moment and, and how we work with our SMEs in Australia around geopolitics. I think this year has been the year of our eyes being opened. We suddenly understood how connected we are to the world during COVID when we had supply lines interrupted, international supply lines interrupted in quite crucial areas like medicine, if we're not sending our products and services overseas, we are competing with international products and services on our own shore. For our businesses, we need to be eyes up and out. And I think COVID has done us that favour in mm. that it's opened our eyes beyond our immediate horizons. And it's also opened up some opportunities for us around our strengths and how we can push those out to the world. In terms of the current situation with China, it plays home to us that we don't have sufficiently diversified markets. And as a startup or as a scale-up, being born global in the way we behave and the way in which we choose our markets is going to be crucial. Gone are the days where we can rely on a single market to fill our coffers. It's not going to be our future. And in fact, we are looking into a future of global geopolitical uncertainty. And so diversifying our markets, both in terms of where we get our supplies, but also where we sell to is going to be key. And I mean, I, I guess the case in point too is even within Australia, we've seen border closures and market disruptions. And so 
having a diversified market even within Australia is something really important to think about. And look, I can't agree more because you need only look at the guests successively with NGI over this season to understand the impacts of COVID on their individual businesses. And I tell you what, if we ever needed to kick up the butt for onshore manufacturing and just the implications of um, offshore manufacturing for the last 12 months, say, as an example, you cannot get a better example of exactly the implications and exactly the need to really become more self-sufficient and have more control over things like that onshore as you would have gotten from COVID. And every single one of the women that I've spoken to in the course of this season has been impacted by that. And I'm sure if they were looking, as you've mentioned now, at their businesses and what kind of planning they would be making for the future, a proportion of that would have been avenues for onshore manufacturing for a range of different things where possible, you know. Absolutely. And certainly when I look across our portfolio, a large number of our manufacturers picked up opportunities with the onshoring component. And we played a matchmaker, in fact, for quite a few of our manufacturing businesses who couldn't source supplies. And we knew of other manufacturers who had capabilities to be able to make those supplies and put them together and realised some benefits for both businesses. But And certainly in terms of those people who are looking at opportunities at starting businesses, it does create some opportunities around domestic It sure does. Without a word of a lie, I was saying to a friend of mine who owns her own business the other day, somewhere there is a little empire that's about to start in managing and matching organisations and businesses within Australia to onshore manufacturing and setting that up as a bit of a hub for people to be able to come and find manufacturers and really debunking that entire process because to find a manufacturer onshore is a needlessly complex kind of thing. And so, you know, there you go for anyone out there listening That is absolutely a business need right there to match organisations that need onshore manufacturing with manufacturers and to make that process something that people can easily understand in a step-by-step. I guarantee you, you will get paid a finder's fee for whatever it is that you can organise for some of these organisations that that are time poor. So this is where I do the shameless plug for EP and say that if you become a member of EP, We have uh, technology facilitators who are able to assist you with finding domestic manufacturers and their capabilities. So, um... Absolutely invaluable, Melissa. (laughs) Melissa, you know, one one of the brilliant things about the program is its ability to provide support networks to organizations moving forward. And And the program in yourself, you do that so well. I generally ask the women, of which some in this season are beneficiaries of the Entrepreneur Program services, I generally ask them, and I'd like to ask you the same just for continuity's sake, but also because I'm interested in your answer as a final question. What advice do you have for women, for young people, for people who have a business, are looking to start one or are looking to scale it? What's your one overarching piece of advice that you have for them? Back yourself. One of the awesome things about many of the women that we work with is their high level of EQ and coupled with that often is a lack of assurance around their own capabilities. And uh, I think we would do ourselves a great service to fake it till we make it. And one of the awesome things to do is to look around at other people who have been successful and understand who they are and there's absolutely some awesome human beings there but there's some just normal people 
so back yourself is 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 my thing you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist you don't have to be highly connected you just need to back yourself and drive forward and you know try and have fun while you do it it's not always fun it can be really confounding if at all possible yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, beautiful. Melissa, that's fantastic advice. And I can't agree with you more. And just get out there, just get started. Yep. Just one step, just yep. one foot in front of the other. And if you fail, that's fine. Try again, try something different, try something new. Yep. You know, I think one of the unspoken benefits of COVID or one of the opportunities that COVID has afforded us is a lot of people are shifting jobs and shifting into different areas. And if you have been impacted by COVID, now's the time to start to take, you know, double down, double down, double on, down, um, <laughs> double down on the change you know if you're going through change anyway and it's difficult double down <laughs> melissa it's been an absolute joy to talk to you thank you so much for joining us and thank you for um giving us just some really sage advice around you know um you are the authority you have been around so many successful businesses you're i, I can't over i can't over sort of um uh, explain to the audience just just how valuable your insights are and how close they are to the coalface of you know uh, establishing organisations in Australia, establishing businesses. So, thank you so much for your time. All the very best of luck with the Entrepreneurs Program rounding out the year, um, and with all the people that are part of the Entrepreneurs Program rounding out the year. And thank you very much for being part of uh, Next Generation Innovators. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Great. Thanks for that. Bye. Thanks for that. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Next Generation Innovators is a Future Women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review as it really helps people to find us. And make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you again next week.